to the children in our church. Uh, <clears throat> I'd like to pray before reading the scriptures. We're going to read Psalm 8 and then read portion of Matthew 21. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, the heavens truly declare the glory of God but we thank you that we see your glory manifested in Christ, the eternal Son who became flesh and in whom we see the glory of your grace. In his birth, in his life of holy obedience and serving love, in his obedience unto death, in his rising again, to be glorified at your right hand as king over all the heavens and the earth and to pour out the Holy Spirit who is the one who brings us to Christ. And so we pray in Jesus' name that that Holy Spirit who first inspired the scriptures would now help us to read them, hear them with understanding and with faith, to rejoice in its truth and to submit to what it calls us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so first, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Amen. This scripture is referred to, uh, quoted directly twice in the New Testament, once Hebrews chapter 2, uh, quoting from verses 4 through 6 and applying them to Christ. And verse 2, quoted by our Lord, on the day of his triumphal entry, and so we will read Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. <clears throat> now when they, this would be our Lord Jesus, his disciples, and uh, a larger crowd with them. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem 
and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what they are saying, what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. <clears throat> if this sermon this evening sounds familiar, it's because I only realized yesterday that I used it in this church four years ago. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> but uh, we hear the voices of our children, uh, not necessarily singing praises, uh, some of them screaming. But you know, that's not a complaint. That's a cause for thanksgiving. And uh, we learn something from our Lord and his use of Psalm 8 on the occasion of the leaders in Jerusalem criticizing the children, and criticizing Jesus for permitting them to praise him. Well, <clears throat> it's Palm Sunday, or it's what the church regards as Palm Sunday, but for the people present on that date, it was the beginning of the Passover week. Uh, people from all over, not just uh, the Middle East, but from uh, places farther afield, uh, where Jewish people have scattered, uh, they have come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the great uh, festival of salvation that the Passover was. 
Jerusalem is crowded, people from the known world. And then here comes Jesus, and not alone, not just with the twelve, but with a throng of followers who evidently have been with him coming down from Jerusalem and uh, expecting great things to occur. Well, we know how the week ends, but it begins with uh, the crowds acknowledging uh, great truth about Jesus. And it's Jesus himself who proclaims it. How does he proclaim it? Well, he rides on a donkey into the city, and in doing so, he fulfills <clears throat> the word of prophecy spoken by Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. By this symbolic act, our Lord is publicly declaring that he fulfills the messianic promises of the Old Testament. And many in the crowd put two and two together, and they are thrilled to confess with their praises that he is the son of David, the promised Messiah. Tremendous acclaim. Hosanna, meaning salvation to the son of David. The crowds are thrilled. By the end of the week, they'll be calling for his crucifixion. And that tells you something about where their hearts are and what their understanding of his coming means. But at this moment, uh, they are thrilled to uh, acclaim him. But the Jewish leaders are not at all thrilled. Uh, they uh, see the people hailing him. They are deeply disturbed at his cleansing of the temple, which they have allowed to become a den of robbers. He does wonderful things in healing the sick. But when they hear the children's voices praising Jesus as the son of David, that is sort of the last straw for them. And they are filled with jealousy, with outrage. They are indignant. That's the word that is used. And in this, they are representative of God's enemies, all of whom by nature hate to see Jesus praised and hate to see children praising Jesus. Yes, the children are praising Jesus, and that fills the chief priests with outrage. It's bad enough that adults seem to adore and follow this imposter, this false prophet as they see it, but children are also being corrupted. The leaders say to Jesus, do you hear? And every time I read that, I laugh. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, he does hear. Do you hear what they are saying? To them, it's blasphemy. He, he should rebuke them if he's any kind of true prophet. The enemies of the Lord and the enemies of his Messiah want children to be silenced if they have any impulse to praise our Lord 
as Savior and Lord. They may have the attitude of the Soviet revolutionaries. We can lose the adults. We can let the old people go to church. But if we've got the children, we'll shape them. And they are infuriated, these leaders, that <clears throat> they don't have the children, or at least apparently at this moment they don't. In our own day, humanist educators uh, seek to corrupt children. Uh, they do not want children praising Jesus. They want children on board with the new direction of things. But here are what? Priests of the living God. Serving in the temple, teaching in the synagogues. They know the Old Testament scriptures that point to the Messiah. That tell Israel what works he will do when he comes, what to expect and what Jesus has been doing. Yet they are blind to the Son of God. They are blind to Jesus the Messiah. There is a spiritual war going on here behind the priests and the scribes and their unbelief, and not just unbelief, but their, their anger, their hostility, is the enemy and the avenger. That's the language of Psalm 8, verse 2. We are seeing the rage of Satan. As we saw the rage of Satan when Herod gave command for the soldiers to kill all the infant children of Bethlehem, in the region of Bethlehem, probably under the age of two. So here we see the rage of Satan. He put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus, or he will, before the week is over. And here uh, he is behind the hatred and the animosity of the leaders of God's people. Satan's war, Satan's rage, is especially focused and intense in this particular week. He does not know what the plan of God is for the appearing of his son in Jerusalem in this week. The Apostle Paul tells us twice in the New Testament that, well, more than twice, that God kept the knowledge of what the Son was going to do from the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. But Satan knows something's going on, and he concentrates his fury against Jesus in this week. Now, that continues down to this day, doesn't it? I'm not going to list all the ways in which Satan seeks to seduce Christ's church and enslave even our covenant youth to lies and unrighteousness. But he does. And we should take note of that. Now Jesus replies to their question, Do you hear what these children, the blasphemies of these children? And Jesus replies, Yes. Yes, I do hear. 
But have you read, have you read in the scriptures, out of the mouths, well, pardon me, I don't quote from memory very well, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. This is an amazing statement on our Lord's part. Like his riding the colt into the city, which in effect, by an action, declares that he is the one promised by Zechariah. Here in quoting Psalm 8, which is a psalm of praise to Yahweh, the living God, the God, the covenant God of Israel. And Applying the praises of the children to himself. He is revealing his sonship to the Father. I don't know that the Pharisees got the implications there, but we should. You leaders of God's people, don't you know God's word? Well, yes, they did. Superficially, I guess. But David in Psalm 8 commanded the children to praise me. Now, okay, if you're reading Psalm 8 in your English Bible, which is translating the Hebrew text, it doesn't exactly say that. The Hebrew text says what we read earlier. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. But our Lord is quoting the Septuagint translation and thereby giving his approval to that interpretation. What does it mean that God establishes strength in, out of the mouths of babes and infants? Well, it means that these children will be praising him. That's God's ordination of spiritual strength to shut the mouth, to silence, to defeat his enemy, the avenger. God has ordained that out of the mouths of nursing babes, all right, wait, hold on. Here in the temple precincts, is that a high C? Uh, <laughs> future opera star. Uh, here, here in the temple precincts, it's not babies in arms. It's not nursing infants who are singing Hosanna to the son of David. Our Lord applies verse, uh, chapter, Psalm, Psalm 2, Psalm 8 verse 2 to the situation. But in doing so with regard to these children, not babies. I think he is making clear that there's more in view than, the, than just the words themselves, just the literal words of Psalm 8 in the Hebrew. God's purpose, whether it's Septuagint or Hebrew, God's purpose is to silence his enemies, the event, his enemy, the avenger. Oh, okay. The enemy. What does he want? What does Satan want? 
Well, Satan wants an end to God's covenant people. Satan wants Israel then, the church today, to be destroyed. Now, Satan wants to be the one who is exalted, not God, and certainly not whatever Messiah God may send. You can think of terrible events in the history of Israel that illustrate Satan's desire to destroy the people of God. Uh, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's command to the midwives in Egypt. Certainly, Satan was behind this. Kill all their sons. Kill all the, baby, the male babies that are born. If all the male babies are killed, there will be no future Jewish husbands. And so, Jewish daughters will either go unmarried or will marry Egyptians and the people of God will, in a generation, be absorbed into Egypt and be no more. Or, terrible though it is, think of Athaliah, uh, queen, uh, queen mother in Judah, the daughter of Jezebel. You read this in uh, 2 Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings 11. Uh, Athaliah is widowed, and she proceeds to kill all of the royal sons who might inherit the throne so that she can reign. And if she had been successful in that, that would have ended the line of David that God promised would lead to the coming of the Messiah. One brave woman and her husband, a faithful and righteous priest, risked their lives to save the last child of the king who had died. Infant, little infant. And hide him and raise him. And then present him to the nation at the right time for him to be hailed and acclaimed as the descendant of David and the rightful king of Judah. But she came that close to destroying the line of the Messiah. And we've already mentioned Herod and the babies in Bethlehem. And we can think of the Babylonian captivity. What nation was ever carried away into captivity in a distant land and continued to maintain its identity and its devotion to the God who had made them his people? The, the boasting of the Babylonians that nobody's ever stood up against us <laughs> was, was valid boasting. But God was mightier. God preserved them. Satan has been intent on destroying the people of God, destroying the church of Jesus Christ. He is intent upon that now. And much of that does focus on the children of God's people. But what that means is that every cry of every baby in the arms of a Christian mother is a defeat for the devil. Every child singing the praises of Jesus is a defeat for the devil. The enemy hasn't got that child. <clears throat> the avenger hasn't destroyed the next generation of God's people. 
And so what should this mean for us? Well, praise God that he will always prevail against the machinations of the devil and the wicked rulers who are his dupes. We should never panic because nations, even our own nation, may come into the hands of people who intend only evil. God is greater. So give praise. Give praise to God that he can use even the mouths of children to defeat the plans of the devil. But also, what should we be doing about the children God has given us? We should be teaching them the praises of Jesus. Uh, the children in the temple precincts, they must have been listening when their parents discussed what this man has been doing for the last two, three years. All the things that we have heard, all the miracles he has done, his, his preaching with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He is certainly a prophet from God, and maybe he's the Messiah. Certainly these children have heard these discussions around the table at home or in the marketplace. And so they are giving voice to what they have heard. Hosanna to the son of David. But we want our children to give voice to what they have been taught in our homes, what they've been taught in the church. We want, uh, we want to be faithful parents. We want to be faithful grandparents. We want to be a faithful congregation and helping parents. We want to be faithful elders and a pastor in instructing and teaching uh, the little ones, even from infancy, to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners, the only Savior of sinners, that he died for the sins even of young children that he has been raised from the dead and throned at the right hand of the Father, that he rules all the nations, and that he has stomped on the head of the serpent. We want to teach our children these things, that he is the mediator of the covenant, the savior of God's elect, the true king of heaven and earth and of the whole world. The congregation help the parents of this congregation, your brothers and sisters, love their children. When the call goes out for volunteers to teach Sunday school, let there be 10 people volunteering. So they have to choose who, who will teach. Uh, and parents, we don't just teach facts about creation, about the fall, the history of God's people, the gospel history, the story of Jesus. We do. We do have to teach those facts. And the sooner our children hear them and master them and internalize them, the better. But <clears throat> we want to convert that narrative, those facts, those things that reveal the Son of God to us. We want to convert them to worship and praise, to confession of sin and to prayer. We want to be doing this in our homes. So good if children learn to love singing praises to God around the table with the family at home. And then when they come to church and we do it all together, it's not, what's this weird thing? 
They're joining in and singing. Sing the praises of Jesus in your homes. Sing with joy. Teach your children to praise him. And not just the childish words of what are so many silly, silly songs. But I've learned from experience that very young children can learn to sing and love great hymns. And we've got a few in this congregation when we're singing, I hear them singing the parts they remember, even if they can't already read. So that's a wonderful thing. The Spirit uses the Word to produce faith in the hearts of our children. The Spirit uses the Word that we sing to work faith in the hearts of our children. And all of this has the effect of silencing the devil and reminding him that he is defeated and that all of his efforts to put an end to the work of Christ and destroy his church are going to be futile. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that as we sit here in this room, it is not just old people and adults, even young adults, but here with us are babes in arms and young children, uh, parents uh, who are teaching their children by by having them in church with them, worship, learning to worship you. Father, we pray your blessing upon them. We pray that the words they hear read and sung and taught at home and here in the church would sink deep into their hearts and bear eternal fruit. And we pray we will see that fruit earlier than later and hear glad confessions of faith from their lips and give thanks to you that once again, you have frustrated the wiles of the devil, and we see the triumph of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. <laughs>